everyone knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. Poker. This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. Hey, how's everybody doing tonight? Big Dave and Joe bringing you another edition of Poker Action Line here. And uh, we are still on the heels of the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open. We talked about it extensively last week. Uh, had a couple other interviews that I didn't get to, including uh, one we'll play tonight from Tony Miles. Uh, ran into Tony. He was on the rail for Olivier Bousquet. And uh, when Olivier, Olivier was getting paid out for the uh, the high roller... Uh, Tony was kind of hanging out, and I just went over and said, listen, I've, I've wanted to talk to you for about a year, and I uh, uh, just wanted to see if you'll spend a couple minutes. And he was very nice, and uh, we talked about a few things about last year's World Series of Poker and his second-place finish to John Sin. Uh, and then what's happened this time, he was also on the rail for Zen Kai uh, of uh, Lake Worth down here in uh the uh, World Series of Poker main event, uh, Zen finished in six. Tony was at his rail and was shown extensively on TV. And there was a couple of kind of run-ins between the the uh, the rails of uh, a couple of different players, making a lot of noise and kind of uh, irritated Tony when uh, the, I think Zen got knocked out and they were kind of celebrating a little bit. Of course, they're happy because their player is going to make a little extra money and may end up winning the tournament then. But um, you know, there's some sportsmanship involved in that too, and uh, Tony was kind of irritated about that. So we talked about a few things. Also, his appearance uh, this year on uh, America Ninja Show, um, which uh, he did pretty well in, but uh, didn't quite uh, pass the bet that he had on with Sean Deeb. Uh, they had a prop bet about him finishing uh, some of the uh, obstacle courses that they have to go through on American Ninja Warrior. And uh, so we talked about a few things here. I want to get to that in just a minute. I uh, also want to let you know that there's big news uh, over the Wire Act. And uh, the Justice Department uh, filed an appeal because they lost that case in New Hampshire that uh, the U.S. District Judge stated that the Wire Act only applied to sports betting. Back that up to what came under the Obama administration really opened the way for online poker in uh, the three states that have it now. And, of course, right around the corner, just getting ready to start, is uh, Pennsylvania and maybe a couple others on the way. But uh, there was a ruling uh, by the Department of Justice that uh, tried to slow things down. The state of New Hampshire filed a suit, and uh, Judge Paul Barbadaro struck down the DOJ's change of heart regarding the act. So that was great. But, of course, now, and we knew this was coming, the DOJ has filed an appeal over that case. So that will be tied up in the courts for years still. So just puts a kibosh, I think, on um, more states hiding online poker at this point. Yeah, well... <laughs> We're used to it, right? Yeah, we're so used to all the disappointing news that we keep getting. Uh, so we'll uh, mention a little bit about that in a little bit. Uh, also, something uh, I want to talk about is uh, this trend now in some of the online sites like PokerStars. Uh, they have reduced their table cap for players from 24 to 4. That you what can only that? play four tables at one time now. You used to be able to play up to 24 tables. Oh, you mean online? Online. 
Who I, did that? Well, a lot of players that, uh, you know. Just no, I'm saying who brought it down that to was, that? That was Poker Stars, but uh, they aren't the first ones. There was uh, a site by uh, Phil Galfond called Run It Once that cut it down to six, and now they've done that, which is really great for the uh, rec player that comes in there, you know, doesn't have their game slowed down. Well, by my guess would be for that, Dave, and it's, you know, we've discussed for the longest time about how disappointing it's frustrating for me. Now, granted, I've already mentioned that my brain capacity doesn't allow me to do I more than pl- two I or three games. I can't play more than three. I have, I have played four, could not properly concentrate on all of them, and, you know, because my, my mindset is to act quickly, you know, decisively, right away, and, you know, you have players that every single hand that they get, nine out of ten times, they're going to the 20-second clock that they get, plus another 20-second that they get added on before they make a... Because a, they're a, playing so many other tables. And I would imagine that was the reason why, because, right. you know, eventually you see some of these hands, because they, they call, and they catch a card, and then you start going back in your memory, and you're going the hell took them so long to make a decision on right. you know, on the flop? Right. And then, you know, you start realizing, oh, this is probably because they're playing so many games. And, you know, God bless them that they can play those many games. But it does become frustrating to the larger majority of us yeah, absolutely. who do not play those many games. So I think it's a great move. I think so, too. You know? Well, put it this way. What I, if I'm a site and I'm, the, you know, I'm, I'm running a site like that, I wouldn't put a, 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 a stoppage on it, but what I would say is once you've reached four tables and above, once you fit four, if you go to the fifth table, you're not allowed your 20-second extra after that. Right. So once your time is up, okay, if you don't, you know, they give you 20 seconds without it coming off of your clock time. You understand? And so either use your clock time and waste that away and do not get that you don't get that back until the break is over. You have to kind of force them to move faster. Now, as, a, as, as someone who's running one of these sites, owns one of these sites, I wouldn't want to stop them because I'm sure they help you bring a lot of players into play different tournaments, different right. other games. But ups the numbers are all in ex- all tables. Exactly. That's the way I'm looking at it from a business perspective, right. not as a player. Because as a player, I love the fact that they are only allowed to do four. But from a business perspective, and being that this is a business for most of these young, because most of the people who do that, are, I would imagine, are under 30 years of age. Right. They, they, they have the capabilities and the mentality to be able to work that. So guess what? If you have that mentality and that capability of doing 16 tables at the same time, well, then you've got a chance to make quick calls. If you're involved on one table where there's a lot of money, a lot of chips involved, well, then just fold the other hands. And concentrate on yeah, that one. Exactly. You know, I, it's just very bothersome to the, the, the large majority of players that you've got to sit there and wait every single freaking time that someone has to act. And we're not even talking about bubbling a tournament. Right. Because that just gets absolutely yeah, ridiculous. Exactly. But, you know, in a cash game... Or a regular tournament game where you're not you're nowhere near the money yet. No, no, you know nobody is is bubbling anything. You've got to make the play. And again, assuming assuming that this is you know people taking their time because they're playing so many other hands, I would just make it that way. And if it has to stay to four tables, well, 
you know, say la vie, as, <laughs> as the saying goes. That's that's what we have to deal with. Well, uh, players that play for a living says that they rely on multi-tabling to uh, make a decent living because of the variance and and uh, you know how many but, tables. But but guess not what? Well. At uh, at the expense of the other players. Right, it is a problem. At the expense of people being annoyed. At the expense of the site losing players because they're sick and tired of you know half a minute, forty-five seconds being taken on every single play when they shouldn't be taking that kind of time. I I decide I I suggest you put the burden back on these people. Maybe even choose four tables that you're allowed to take that extra time. Right. The other ones you can't. Something has to be worked out because yes, I understand from the players who use that and they 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 look at the the variances and the, and the dollars per hour. But guess what? They're they're probably in the ten percent, ten to twelve percent. Of the of the total players playing on a site, as opposed to the other 88 who are more than likely recreational players looking to have a good time, maybe make a few dollars, just spend two or three, four hours online, having a drink at home, not having to worry about anything else, and they're getting frustrated. You know, as a site owner, I don't want to see them upset. I don't need to run those players off because. Believe it or not, they're going to make you more money. And the other players play 16 games, which help you earn income. You've got to come to a, some sort of compromise. Uh, they actually had a trial for it in Italy first, and they said it worked out well. But the explanation from PokerStars was attracting and retaining new poker players is crucial to the future of the game. By reducing the table cap from 24 to 4, we are reducing the number of multi-tabling players and increasing the number of more casual one-table players at each uh, table. Yeah, and they didn't even address the time frame there, but uh, I guarantee you the biggest part of it is for new players coming in. Imagine, Dave, I've been playing poker for a long time, and it's frustrating as hell for me to sit there and wait. Again, I am not multi-tabling. You know, I've, the most I've able to, table, to handle, and I don't even want to say comfortable, <laughs> but but doable for me was three tables. Yes, yeah. I know I'm a dinosaur when it comes to that sort of stuff. Well, I I was able to barely get through three. When I did two, I was more happy. Of course, playing one, uh, there is a problem with playing one. If you're, uh, you know, it can be a little boring at times. So you need something to take your uh, idea. So two is two. You know is good what, Dave? Me. It never felt boring to me because. Well, if you're I really used, thinking about the game. I use the time. Right. Uh, as I said, the reason I've improved over the over, over these last few years, especially since the emergence of, of online gambling, was trying to put people on hands. You know, techniques that, you know, great great poker players have written about in Card Player and in other, in other forums that I have used to help my game. And so any downtime... Whether it's at a live table or on the computer, I am trying to study the players, study plays, you know, study the amount of money, the time that they take to make these bets, and when I do get the full information as to what cards they had in their hands, you know, putting up, writing up a a, a story on, okay, this is what they did on the flop or before the flop, on the flop, on the turn, on the river, blah 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 blah. Does does any of this make any sense to me? And I try to put it to memory. And and the best thing about the computer is, on every player you can write notes on. Right, exactly. So then you you take your time and write these notes, 
and then a little star, whatever it is, a marking that's on those players, comes up six months later, you can read your own notes on this player as to how he or she played these hands. And, and, and you know, you've you got to go into detail. You know, I've been blessed to have a memory that even if I get the slightest details, I start immediately remi- remembering in my yeah, mind. exactly. And not only remembering, I'm, I'm running the whole scenario through my brain uh, that way. And, you know, to me, that's another way to improve in the game. Well, this was obviously not popular on uh, places like 2 Plus 2, the forum, and players shouting down the idea. Uh, one poster said that the full ring games had become a ghost town with only two games running above 50 cents a dollar. Yeah, well, which could be the case, because especially if you're still trying to play in the United States, you know. Um, but you have to keep adapting. As a player, you have to keep adapting to these situations, Dave. I mean... Damn, you know, you and I are the same age. We're six months apart in age, okay? We grew up, I didn't grow up, you know, with these, the way they're playing it today. You know, for us to get, and I always tell everybody, the greatest advantage for these young players is what took me 20 years of actual table time of playing and learning, and I even sometimes include my dealing, because when I was dealing, I was always studying. Yeah. You understand, especially in the bigger games, right. you know. I was always studying the better players. I always knew who the players were that even if they didn't have a great night, their losses were so minimal and they always had maximum wins when they ran good. And I had the pleasure of speaking to some of them because I dealt in private games and I and they were kind enough to give me some information. So I look back and I go, "Damn, you know, that took me 20 years." of playing, making mistakes, of dealing, you know, uh, getting my ass handed to me, getting luckier than than anything else in the world and and not realizing that I got lucky, thinking that I was really good. And you know what? These young players, and the example that I use most often is my brother, who's not a young player, he's only a year younger than me, but when he decided to get into it, I told him what he needed to do. And, uh, you know... I'm not ashamed to admit it is because he's my brother, but he became a much better player than I did. He was able to read players so much better in a little over a year of playing full-time, mostly online, because of the multi-tabling. Right. And the amount of hands, even if you don't multi-table, the amount of hands that you see on playing one game is double or more of what you do uh, you know, in a, in a brick and mortar. Right. Right. And so guess what? If you're able to retain all that information, it, you're, you've got people who are literally gaining 20 years of experience yeah. in a little over a year well, and a half. That's the thing is people just say it's a sheer numbers game. Uh, one of the w- players that, uh, in reading this article that uh, really uh, built their reputation and their fame was Havad Khan. Uh, was a huge multi-tabler. Uh, Randy Liu was another. Uh, Joey Ingram, the, who does a podcast, said uh, he once played 50,000 hands in a single day. Think about that. 50,000 hands in a single day. Now, I'm not saying that he can retain everything in those 50,000 hands, but let's just assume. Think about it, Dave. Let's assume he can retain 5% of 50,000 hands. That gets up to 2,500 hands. Now think about playing in a brick and mortar where if you're playing hold'em, well, think about it. You're playing hold'em, okay? If you're lucky, you've got a good dealer 
that could get about 30 to 32 hands out. And if there's a heavy action, it's going to be probably between 25 and 30 because the game slows down as more money so is you'd, bet. So, you'd have, so play, now, you'd have to play every day for like 30 years. Well, no. Well, <laughs> you're looking at 10 hours of maybe accumulating 300 hands to, 30 to, to, to 320 hands. 5%. We just said if he can retain 5% of those hands and learn something from them, it's 2,500 hands. You're now talking 100 hours, close to 100 hours of live table games to get that. Yeah. How long would 100 hours? If you, were doing, if you were doing 40 hours a week, which that's a full-time job. Most people can't do that. Obviously, it would take you two and a half weeks just to get what he got in one day, in one day of play. Okay? And these players, we know how intelligent they are. How so many of them are, you know, pick up the nuances. There's so much more information out there from the forums, from the books that I didn't wasn't available to right. me growing up. And if and if you have the, the the mental capacity to retain most of this information and then put it into practical use while you're playing, whether online or in a brick and mortar, you know. That's why the game has jumped leaps yeah. and bounds. Yeah, no question. I mean, no question. when you see some of these players this year and a couple of years ago, what do we have? Like three of the main event uh, final people were uh, 70. One was like almost 70. Another one was 60. And another one was like 61 years old. Um, uh, the gentleman that knows my friend down here, and I can't remember. Yeah, he Neil. Came, uh, Neil. Um, I forgot his last name now. But, Yeah. Now the older folks are starting to maybe, and I don't want to say catch up because it's going to be, imp- I think, impossible to completely the catch older, up. The older player was Pierre Newville. Right. And uh, the gentleman with the jacket and then Neil, uh, what was his name? Um, I can't remember his last name now. Forgive me, Neil. We're getting old. But yes, we are. You know, uh, like I tell people, I got my nose fixed. Now my mind doesn't work. So. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, and this year we had a couple, you know, this year's winner was, was an older gentleman. We never thought we'd see that. It's only because our generation didn't grow up with that, yeah, Dave. We, right. I don't know about you. I tell these kids, they all laugh at me. You and I are the same age. You remember the first game that was a, a you know, I don't want to say a Game Boy, but remember it was Pong? Pong, it was a right. Bing, Pong. These kids would kill themselves today because it's so damn boring. And we thought that was exciting stuff back then. <laughs> so I didn't grow up with that. I don't know how many people did, you know. God bless the people who are in our age range that fall within five to six, seven years younger or older than us that have been able to pick up that, you know, that style of play. That wasn't available to us. So now this is a great tool for young people. And guess what? If it has to go down to four games to to infuse the poker world with new blood, then I'm all for it. it. Uh, Well, we'll just have to see a couple of things. We'll have to see if competitors match that, you know, their major competitors out there, whether they do the same thing. My guess is and they're going to go in the opposite direction. They might, they might. And then the other thing is to see how this affects the bottom line for uh, Poker Stars because their stock has been dropping over the last year or so. And, uh, you know, this could make things worse for them. Who knows? We'll see. Anyway, let's take our break uh, here on the show. When we come back, we'll hear uh, directly from uh, Tony Miles. So look forward to uh, our con- playing our conversation with him. And uh, then we'll get to a couple other uh, things a little bit down the road. Try to get some of this uh, Joe's thoughts on the Matt Savage interview that I used last week uh, since we played it at the very end of the show. 
I was unable to get any uh, response from Joe on some of the topics, but uh, we will talk about that again tonight as well. So let's take a break. We'll come back and hear from Tony Miles when we return. This is Poker Action Line. This is Big Dave for PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Want to know what's really cool? Your charitable tax-deductible donation every time you play. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com, the feel-good gateway to fun and prizes. Play free. Learn our system. Get 50,000 free chips and play for prizes. Play for scholarships that benefit Caribbean students. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Take it from Big Dave. A win for you is a donation to Caribbean education. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. We are talking about our world today. Oh, and someone's on the line. Hi, I'm Jacqueline. Welcome, Jacqueline. How old are you? You sound so young. I'm eight. Oh, wow. I assume you're a student, right? Yes, from Jefferson Elementary. And I have a question. Sure. And what's your question? We all know the Earth has seven continents that currently carry 193 countries. Those continents make up 29% of the Earth's surface meaning that the vast majority of our planet, 71%, is comprised of water. Taking into consideration man automatically adapts to environmental conditions, why is it that I need to take swimming lessons? Are you ready for kids who eat healthy? Good nutrition can lead to great things. To find out how a healthy lifestyle can help your child succeed, go to mypyramid.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the Ad Council and USDA. WFO Radio NHRA Nitro is all about the NHRA Drag Racing Series. Featuring the NHRA's Alan Reinhardt. Race winners stop by to talk about bringing home the Wally. Every Tuesday night following NHRA national events. NHRA Nitro is available on demand anytime on the WFO Radio application and at WFORadio.com. Welcome back to Poker Action Line. Big Dave and Joe will hear from Tony Miles momentarily. And a little later we'll talk about uh, the comments from Matt Savage uh, last week and the uh, TDA Summit. And uh, then we'll maybe talk a little bit more, although we uh, covered that pretty well as far as uh, Poker Stars and their decision. So uh, I got a couple other uh, strategy articles uh, written by Vivian Saliba, uh, who I believe is from Brazil, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Brazil or Argentina, and uh, has some good thoughts about uh, three things you shouldn't do in PLO. So we'll talk about that a little later in the show as well. But let's hear from Tony Miles, our conversation last week at the Seminole Hard Rock. I'm with Tony Miles here at Seminole Hard Rock, uh, obviously the last second-place finisher last year, World Series of Poker. Uh, looking back, how has that changed your life? Uh, I think that it's increased my bankroll, for one. Of course. It's given me a lot of confidence. Um, it's motivated me to really just continue studying and progressing and you know poker is one of those things where you can never become complacent because the game is constantly evolving and I just felt super blessed and grateful for the experience it was something that really like solidified my choice to play poker professionally in my family's eyes and uh, so yeah it's been had nothing but a positive impact on my life overall uh, a lot of people want to make a big deal, and I don't want to talk about it a lot because I thought you were treated very unfairly at the end. But uh, you got things straightened out with John, and uh, you guys really came off very well. 
that whole series, the final table, was like everybody was having such a great time. There was no problems. Uh, uh, play was nice and quick. And it's really what poker should be. I, I got to congratulate you guys for that. You got to be pleased with it. Yeah, thank you so much. There was a camaraderie amongst the guys at the final table that I had never experienced before. All of us got along really well, and it was just a really, really pleasurable experience. And you know, it's something that I'll remember for the rest of my life. Uh, this year, you were on the rail for Zenkai, and I guess there was some a little bit of uh, back and forth between some of the groups, but uh, a lot of people were very boisterous uh, backing up these people, which on one hand is good for poker, but on the other hand, you know, it kind of can be get a little testy sometimes. Yeah, you know, I think traditionally poker's been a game, like a gentleman's game, and uh, I think it's important to respect one another and be kind to each other always. Um, I was a little upset with Kevin Ma's rail, but, you know, I spoke with Zen about it afterwards, and he really liked, like, the, he's into, like, the wrestling and the storylines and the crowds clashing, so, um, you know, in the end, it wasn't too big of a deal, and, you know, I forgive them, it's just something where, it's something I think that we should all try to be more respectful of, especially in an event that has such, like, major financial implications as the main Speaking of forgiving, a lot of people didn't forgive Kevin himself, uh, who uh, tanked unnecessarily in a lot of people's mind. And uh, that, for a lot of people, is really a sore spot. Yeah, it's bad for the game. And uh, I think that it, I think what he was trying to accomplish by doing these things or like the excuses that he was using to justify his actions just didn't have a lot of merit. So, uh, obviously, Kevin's a recreational player, so, you know, you got to give him a little bit of flexibility on things like that. If he thought he had, it was benefiting him or making him money to do it, or if he thought he was throwing people off their game by doing it, then, you know, I can kind of understand where he's coming from, and, hey, I'm, I'm not here to judge people. But, yeah, definitely the viewers at home and... Uh, us and the, uh, there on the rail, we definitely didn't enjoy it. Now, Zen was out by the final day, but uh, tell me your thoughts about the final three. It was pretty interesting. Uh, Dario took the lead at one point, and all of a sudden, it's pretty crazy, but uh, I thought Hossein uh, really played well. Uh, first off, I just want to commend all of them. I thought they were complete gentlemen. Uh, I thought that they were, I thought that they played well and they were very amiable with each other. It was really nice to see the camaraderie they had as well. Um, yeah, it was, it was such a high-level match, you know. Alex folded the queens early on in the final table, and then they really started to mix things up when things got three-handed. I thought, I thought Ensign played very well. Dario obviously played well, and so did Alex. So, yeah, just a star-studded cast, and, you know, that's what, uh, that's what everybody wanted, but the best battling it out. One of the things I'm always interested in is, is how fame affects people. Now, we have John Hesp, who uh, ate it up and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, was back this year and had some fun. Uh, you were a guy that pretty much exploded out of nowhere, but now, you know, you have some notoriety. How have you handled that? Are you glad that uh, it's worked out that way for you outside of the cash that you had last year? Sure. Um... I think I've just tried to stay humble and use the platform to affect people positively. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people are familiar with my story. I've recovered from a serious addiction. I've gotten a lot of people that have reached out to me, you know, saying they can relate or like uh, I inspired them to have some type of positive impact or change in their lives. And um, yeah, that that was my goal in 
you know, having some type of, I guess, fame is like a, fame is a tricky word to use in poker because it's such a small right. niche. But sure. yeah, as long as we can use our reputations for good and to affect positivity, then yeah, I'm happy to do that and I'm happy to be an ambassador for the game. But you are branching out in the fame by being in American Ninja Warrior, uh, obviously an interesting prop bet with Sean Beeb that a lot of people have heard about, but uh, you didn't quite make it as far as you wanted to, but you, a lot of people don't know the whole story that you could actually go back. Will you be on the show again in the, in the future years here? I will be applying for the show again this year, and if I don't get through the qualifying course this year, I will have one more year to win my bet. The odds drop from 25 to 1 to 21, 20 to 1 this year, and if I don't make it this year, then I will have 15 to 1 for the last year. So it's still a lot of money to be won. I could take home 100K, and Sean Deeb is obviously deep in the heads up for the he don't 25K. Need the money right now. So, yeah, he doesn't need the money. I'll take it <laughs> off his hands. And what's harder, finishing uh, on a, making a final table for a World Series of Poker or completing some of those tasks that they have to do in that game? It's two completely different challenges, but I would say I think making the final table of the World Series of Poker is more challenging, in my opinion. It's it's There's so much pressure. You're playing for so much money, and the decisions, you know, you can only, you can only compete up to your ability in, as far as Ninja Warrior goes. You know, in poker, it's tough sometimes. You lose a hand, you get flustered, you get tilted, you can start making bad decisions. Right. So having the mental fortitude to play your best and be focused and um, study and sleep well, it's it's really difficult. So it was a challenge I embraced and accepted. And, uh, yeah, now I'm looking to branch out and challenge myself in other ways, and that's why I'm happy about this American Ninja Warrior bet. Well, good luck with the future. Uh, you, you've been a you've been a, a hero and a, someone that people look up to for the way you handled yourself throughout the series last year and the stuff you've come back from, as you just mentioned. Uh got to be kind of a, like a dream come true for you it is making the final table was a dream come true and i've said for a long time i'm just living my dreams one day at a time okay good luck in upcoming events thank you so much thank you that is tony miles uh was living in jacksonville i had read one report that he was living in orlando now and i'm not sure if that's true or not but uh uh he does try to come down here and play a lot of the major tournaments so uh uh Another Florida guy made made good. Yeah, well, God bless him, and you know, overcoming his addiction, you know, and, and speaking about it, which is very brave, you know, uh, you know, having this success. Hopefully, he'll help other people overcome uh, their addiction problems like he did. Right. Uh, over the last few weeks, I wanted to switch uh, topics here and talk a little bit about the new casino up in Boston. Uh, those people waited a long time for a place where they could uh, go to a casino without having to drive a couple hundred miles, whether it was over to uh, New York or down to Connecticut or, or wherever they had to go to uh, to play poker and to play the slots and, and whatever, table games. But uh, they did open uh, the Encore. It's owned uh, by the company that was owned by Steve Wynn. Uh, he had to get out because he was accused of some sexual harassment and uh, got out of it. But it's called Encore Boston Harbor. Been open a little over two months now. Well, when you say he got out of it, I I I would bet serious money that he ain't out of it anything. Yeah. He's just not the name, the front name now. Well, could be. Uh, but it is owned by Wynn Resorts. 
and there whether, whether he's the own, whether, whether he's the owner or not, or the uh, the CEO, which he really is not officially anyway. Uh, you know that company has obviously done some beautiful work over the years. Yes, some of the they great have. Casinos. They really the have. Cosmopolitan, I guess, is owned by them out there. Uh, the Wynn, the Aria, I think, owns it. As, they own that one as well. Anyway, uh, there were some reports out uh, of the impact in the area, and it just you know a lot of people don't really think about it. They just see that a room is open, they got a place to go play. But uh, the competition is just getting hammered up there. Um, you know, we had talked about the people that drove to Foxwoods and Mohegan Sun and maybe up to well, New York and that sort of thing. Uh, but a place like Twin River Casino is in Lincoln, Rhode Island. And that was one of the closest places. They've already, two months into uh, Encore opening, say they might have to lay off staff because of plummeting revenues. Of course, Dave. And, and you don't have to go that far. I mean, just think about Atlantic City, the numbers that they produced. All right? When everybody gets it. I mean, you're drawing from, look at all these, these I don't know how you want to call them, metropolises. You're talking about New York. Okay. Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., you know, Washington, Baltimore area. And for that argument, say Boston, even back then, because even though it would be a three- or four-hour ride, you could get there in three or four hours driving, okay, as, right. as opposed to taking a plane halfway, you know, to the other side of the country, to Nevada. And their numbers were incredible. And as, you know, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania approved gambling, then Maryland, with Maryland Live and all the other places, all of a sudden, and then Foxwoods opened up, so now New Yorkers had a choice. Two and a half, three hour ride to AC or two and a hour ride to Foxwoods. You know, all of a sudden, how many casinos have closed in the last few years? We've mentioned about four or five of them right. have closed. Well, so this is going to be an ongoing problem for established casinos as bigger, uh, you know, bigger market cities like Boston open up. I uh, I don't believe there's anything in Chicago, but I guarantee you if Chicago ever opens up casinos, much like New York City, oh, good Lord, what do you think is going to happen to any casino within a two- to three-mile, I mean, two- to three-hour radius of them? Right. Who well, the hell is going to go there for that I don't that think city? there's anything in Chicago proper, but uh, the closest one would be uh, Hammond, Indiana, where people... Uh, How far is that poker. from Chicago? I, I don't know. Exactly. Well, like I'm saying, okay, so you got Hammond. Okay, imagine that you're able to eventually open up a full-blown casino somewhere in, in Chicago or a full-blown casino in New York City. I know they have slot machines at some of the paramutuals in the New York area, but think about that. What's, you know, Hammond and all these other places would just, you know, eventually fall by the wayside because... They couldn't compete with them. Their, right. their, their majority of yeah, their no customers question, no are question. coming from that area. I've always stated, Dave, that if full-blown casinos came to uh, Miami, full-blown casinos came to Miami, you know, the Bahamas would suffer so greatly. Yeah. Because people don't need no to leave the there. country. No one would go there. You know, I've always told people that you'd be able to rent it out for your kids' party or well, something. Well, that's why there was an end to the boats, too, that uh, the cruises to nowhere that used to go out of Bayside and uh, Palm Beach, all those so dried up, uh, no question. Uh, just a couple of the numbers. Uh, uh, 34% down at uh, Twin River in July for table games. 
uh, and 17% down in their slot machine revenue. So uh, it's hurt them big time. The other side of the coin is what's happening in Boston. Uh, restaurants and clubs and everything are losing all their employees of people going to work at Encore, who's uh, hired, already hired 5,200 people, uh, still looking to hire a couple hundred more. But all these restaurants are saying, uh, you know, like nine of their ten uh, bartenders have left uh, the premises to go work at Encore. That's fine, Dave. But you know what? That just means there'll be more jobs for other people to come to their places also. I guess. You know, I, I, yes, the casinos will have their nightclubs. The excitement of, of a new casino, you know, lasts for a while, you know. My guess in this place could be a little over a year. And then, you know, things will start to kind of take... Back to normal? Well, yeah, whatever normal is. You understand? It'll go back to that that status quo that you had right before that. Um, Things, you know, unfortunately, you know, things evolve and changes are made. Businesses need to make their changes. But... Much like Vegas with the Strip, you have the the casinos that are off-strip that are for the locals. They all seem to make a living. They all make some money, you know. Um, yeah, you have your flashy lights, you know, the glitz and glitter of, 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 of the Strip and all the different clubs and everything else there, which is great for the tourists. But my guess is Boston isn't going to become a destination casino. You understand? Down here, the Hard Rock obviously can become a destination casino, and they're still a good 15, 20 minutes away from the from the beach. Well, now we understand why they fought so hard to have the, to keep the Sands from coming in here and opening a of Genting, uh, to open a place. Dave, you know. if if people you know people will come here, know okay, well we're going to take an Uber. If they're big rollers, the casino will take us to the beach, set us up at the beach, but. Can you imagine here in Florida if the Fountain Blue, the Diplomat, you know, just, you know, the Eaton Rock, just to name three of the top, you know, hotels down here in South Florida, all of a sudden had casinos? Yeah. They would be booked consistently. Now, we would have traffic nightmares and other, and other problems and other logistic problems that we'd have to take care of, but all of a sudden, those places? No one would go to Miami Highline. Well, of course not. <laughs> Forget Miami Highlight. Even the Hard Rock would have a tough time yeah, they would, with their they beautiful would be, hotel. They would, they they would, would have to be giving out nights at, at, at under $100 a night because, you know, what the hell? If you're going to come down here and you have a place to gamble that has great food, great restaurants, great shows, you know, assuming that they're bringing in the top name acts into town, and you can walk out of out of the back of the hotel and and be on beautiful sand in Miami Beach. Why would you want to go anywhere else? Why would you want to take your family or anybody else anywhere else? It doesn't make it just. Why won't would you happen. drive to 441 in Hollywood? Exactly, and <laughs> you know, and they understand that. Let me tell you, I know that the Seminole Indians, they didn't get it approved many many years ago, but whoever owned the diplomat at that time tried to. And I'm sure there was backhand, you know, backroom deals made, but tried to give that property to the Seminole Indians so that they could be declared, you know, Seminole property. And they would have built the only, you know, the first and the only at this moment hotel casino right. on the beach. 
and it was denied by by the you know whoever whoever it is whether it's uh, the federal Xavier government. Xavier Suarez. No, whoever the Xavier. Well, Suarez was in Miami. That was in Broward. Yeah. But you know whoever uh, gives the okay that recognizes certain land as as sovereign uh, Indian right, land. Right, so. Right. They never got that, but they already somebody was already thinking way ahead of the box, and this was way before the Seminole, uh, the Hard Rock came up. So yeah, no question. Well, I just wanted to bring that up because uh, you know it's obvious that uh, there's uh, competition for gambling dollars. It seems unlimited at some point, but uh, lots of stuff behind the scenes to keep new places from springing up. Well, Dave, listen, you know Atlantic City for. God knows how many years was the only place, and then their only competition was New Jersey, Atlantic City. They didn't make that as pretty as they should have because I lived a two-hour ride from there. But that was it. And little by little, places started opening up. You know, if you were if you lived in the middle of the country, you had a choice. You know, Vegas or, or Atlantic City for the longest time. Now, those choices are are being made for you by. People bring, putting up casinos, you know, uh, all over the country and, and the states that, that their legislators have allowed them to do this. Right. Okay. Well, let's take another break in the show. We'll come back with a with a long final segment. Talk a little bit about the Matt Savage interview, and uh, also possibly work this uh, uh, strategy article about PLO when we return. So we'll be back. Uh, you can always pick up the show on uh, SoundCloud. Great place to get the show where you can listen to it and then uh, send it to your friends either via message uh, or possibly uh, email or whatever you use to get uh, information to your friends. But uh, we certainly would love to have you uh, tweet out the show and and uh, have a lot of people listen to it. But uh We'll be back when we finish things up. When we return, you're listening to Poker Action Line, and we'll be back after these messages. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. A lottery customer can purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables. With a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes. And if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean. You can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the play-for-free demonstration and hope that you will join us 
and the Play for Real game becomes available. Hi, I'm Drew Brees, NFL quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, here with Bugs Bunny to remind you to get moving every day. Because when you get moving an hour a day, you fuel your body and your mind. So what do you like to throw around the football like Drew? Skateboard, ride a bike, or dance in your room. Just move it your way. And be a player. Get up and play an hour a day, Doc. Check out how to be a player at Let'sMove.gov. Head online to get tips on great ways to get moving every day. At Let'sMove.gov. A message from the Ad Council and HHS. Big Dave and Joe on Poker Action Line. Thanks for being with us. Uh, be sure to send the show to all your friends. Uh, you certainly uh, uh, have a regular uh, clientele of a certain number of people listening to the show, and we always trying to grow it a little bit. So uh, if you get on iTunes, uh, maybe you can rate the show, uh, subscribe to it. Lots of things you can do. Tell us what well. you think about us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, always you can send us an email to as well, bigdave at pokeractionline.com if you want to uh, try to get that right back to you away, right away. And uh, – we will try to get some guests lined up for the next few weeks. Some uh, good poker books coming out as well. So we'll take a look at some of those and see what we could do over the next uh, few weeks. Uh, I want to talk about that Matt Savage interview. Joe, you got a chance to to uh, to listen to it. Uh, and uh, what are your thoughts about what the TDA does, first of all? As a poker room director, and they send out stuff. They make some suggestions, uh, some recommendations. Uh, I... Do you Let take them all to, to heart? I love it because I love this concept. It's been around, what, about 15 years now, give or take, that they've been doing this, maybe a little bit longer. And listen, you know, they come up with ideas to make this like a uniform, you know, rules for tournament directors to make it easier, make everybody's job easier who works in the poker room, who runs tournaments in their poker room. And even though I may have disagreed slightly with some of their suggestions you know when i was in full control of running the room i almost always wrote you know ran excuse me ran my tournaments by tda rules it's it's just it makes life easier for everybody because if you travel and being that i had obviously some experience with the ppc being there being their mouthpiece at some of these tournaments when uh, they couldn't make it there and unfortunately we know how much they screwed that up but you know it's nice to know that you go to different states and there's some sort of ninety five percent, if not higher, of the rules are stuff that are being run at your local poker room that you that you frequent. So I think it's a great idea. Listen, uh the one idea they came up with that they tried to instill and people really didn't like it and they got such a backlash from it that eventually they took it away was if you're not sitting at your table you know, when the first card comes out, you've got a dead hand. Remember, it was something like, along those lines. Right, uh, and people just bitched and moaned. And I didn't think there was a reason to change the old style. I, I Yes, I understood that they said, oh, somebody could be running and look at somebody's cards. Okay, let, let's assume that occurs once or twice out of a hundred times. You know, it, to me, it was more of, Believe it or not, the fault of the player who's picking up his cards, not realizing that somebody's walking behind them. And I wasn't in favor of that rule, as the majority, large majority of the players weren't. Okay? They tried to implement it, and they got rid of it. They got such a backlash from it. They got rid of it again. To me, listen, you're in a poker room. 
you see somebody walking in, like a local poker room, obviously the WSOP, WPT, where there's 100 tables or more in a room, you're not going to see somebody coming in. But regardless, wait till the last card is dealt, you know, to the button, and then kill that person's hand. You understand? There, there was That's what the rules used to always be. There was no reason to change right, that. Right. They tried to make it a little more, you know, I don't know what the word is to be exact with you, uh, that they wanted to. But they realized, hey, you know what, let's go back to the old rule. Yeah. It, that, that's one of those where if it isn't broke, don't try to fix it. And they try to do that. Um, I like the fact that they're talking about whether the big blind should put up the ante as opposed to the, uh, I mean, the button putting up the ante as opposed to the big blind having to post the big blind and and, and the ante up. Uh, I'm, as a poker player, I would prefer the button put up the, put the up money. The, uh, the money. The because ante. it's, yeah, excuse me, right, excuse me, the ante. Uh, I also agree where the majority of them believe the ante first. If you're going to have the big blind as the ante or any designated player as the ante uh, person putting up the ante for the whole table, well, that has to be it. That, you know, to me, you know, that, and in this case, you know, it's the big blind ante. Well, if the big blind doesn't have enough to cover the ante, you know, that person has to be smart enough to know to get his chips in before he becomes a big blind. Because, in essence, if you're the big blind, and let's just say, 20,000 is the ante. It's deep into a tournament. And all you've got is 18,000 in front of you. You should have made a move the, the hand the hand before that or the hand before that because if you wait till you're the big line, all you could win is your own money back. And then you're going to be the small blind shortly thereafter. Okay? So, you know, people should realize that, should read into that, should get some advice on that particular incident. But... Dave, you and I, I don't know about you, but I know that when we played together in that horse tournament, they kept yelling at you because you weren't putting up the ante because we weren't used to it. On your online, everything is done for you. They take the big, they take the antes and big blinds from your stack. You don't have to push a button to have it done. And in a brick and mortar, you know, everybody puts it up. And I can't tell you the amount of times that you always hear, oh, you get called to a table, look, this thing is $100 short or $200 short. You know, everybody would have to post an ante on every single hand. And it just became a nightmare because you had to decide on who didn't put it in. And, you know, you don't want to be constantly going to the cameras and figuring out who did that. Right. We know there's a lot of low-life players out there that will we'll try, try to, to get, get, get away with it. So guess what? You're the big blind. The money ain't in the center. Guess what, buddy? You're putting the blind up. You're putting the ante up now. Right. So from that aspect, I love it. Um, does it need to be changed from the big blind? Having to post the big blind and the ante, which is usually the same exact amount of money? No. But as a player, I'd love the fact that the button would have to put that money up so I don't get hit in one particular hand for both of them. And... You know, the button does have the advantage, obviously, of acting last. So that button has a chance to protect his anti-bet in there a lot stronger, depending on how everybody acts in front of him. Uh, well, let me ask you this. One of the recommended procedures that came out of this year is now they haven't distributed these uh, rules, I don't believe, yet from the TDA Summit. But they, are, they came up with a recommended procedure that 
dealers would be asked to count out bets and raises at the table uh, every hand. Um, Is that going to be happening? Well, put it this way. (laughs) I'm so old-fashioned that when I broke people in, somebody would go all in. I was teaching them to break down the stack so the players who had to act after them knew how much was in there. Then, you know, all of a sudden, oh, you don't want to count the all-in because it, it intimidates somebody else by just looking at it because, quote, they can't tell how much is in there. Personally, being that I grew up playing poker differently than that particular, you know, of pushing the stack in, I love that rule, to be honest with you, Dave. From a, from running a room, and for me personally as a player, I like to know how much that is. And if a dealer breaks that down immediately, I taught everybody, and I did that every time that I was dealing 25, 27 years ago. We just broke it down. All in, okay, he's all in for, you know, whatever X amount of dollars or X amount of, you know, units. Well, wasn't it uh, totally bizarre that uh, this year at the World Series on the final table there was actually a situation where it was counted out incorrectly and how much of an effect that can have on people's uh, reaction to the whole thing. I thought just the timing of it was uh, very Yeah, uh, the timing strange. was, you know, uh, you know unusual that it occurred in a main event with which are I'm sure I think it was a young lady who did that uh, you know from my understanding they have their top dealers dealing the main event right and as I've told every single dealer that I've ever trained or had work under me worked with mistakes are going to happen by we're human we're going to make mistakes okay it's unfortunate you know and in this particular case this is the first time that I can recall at a main table final event that something happened. So that there would be a controversy like that. So if there's thousands and thousands of hands that have been dealt and this is the first mistake, hey, big deal. And, you know, yes, it could affect it a little bit. But you know what? Dealers are human. They can make a mistake. And I don't know about you, Dave, but every time I'm at a table, I'm watching... And, and I, I again, I, I get it. I, I've trained so many deal, hundreds of dealers for over 400 in my lifetime. I've, you know, I've had thousands work under me. I'm watching, you know. But as a player, I don't know if it's if it's a, a byproduct of me being a manager or vice versa of a player to me being a manager. I always watch what was going on on the table, mm-hmm. especially if I was deep into a tournament. Okay, and Money, you know, money jumps are big. There's nothing bigger than the than, than the than the WSOP main event, Dave. But guess what? I'm watching to make sure how much money's in there because that all in, Dave. That all in means that whoever went all in and the other person called them, I have a chance to move up and pick up at that point probably a couple of hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I'm not involved in the hand, but as a player. This is me speaking as myself. Yeah, I'm watching what the dealer's doing. Do I watch it a little closer because I'm already trained in that? Probably. But as an experienced player, listen, you made it to the main event, final table. A tremendous task in its, in its own right. I'm watching what the dealer is doing. Okay? And if they're not following a certain procedure and breaking everything down or not doing their math correctly, I'm saying something at that point. But that being said, you know, mistakes are going to happen, Big Dave. 
again, we I can't recall of one on a, on a, at a main event final table, but you know, if it happens once every ten thousand hands, so be it. You know, we have to come up with a rule to be able to come as close as possible to fixing whatever whatever problems could arise from this scenario. Okay, and again, not having witnessed this. Myself and all my years of doing this at the final table, someone not counting and all in correctly, um, I'm still in favor of the dealer breaking it down. Because by breaking it down, even if he or she makes a mistake, usually there's someone at the table smart enough to go, wait a minute, you counted that wrong. That's what that price is. That is, believe it or not, what shocks me more than the dealer not having counted it correctly. That one of the other players... Did not catch that. Right, right. Uh, one of the other things they talked about and really weren't able to come to any kind of consensus on was piling your chips by 20, uh, counts of 20. Uh, you know, a lot of players were against and wanted to have the freedom to kind of set their chips up whatever they wanted. Most of the tournament directors thought it was a good idea to could try to standardize that as much as possible. I agree. I agree because but the players it's so much go easier. I understand that the players wouldn't go for that, but guess what? You know, when someone goes, how much you got behind you? Listen, most people who do that aren't looking for an exact amount. They're looking for a ballpark figure. Ballpark figure, okay? And if you know that everything's in 20s, I was never one of those players that loved to have my chips stacked up, as we see, that looks like, you know, comes up to their chin on their table. I understand that some players like to do that. But I don't know, Dave. May, you've watched more of this than I have because you know how I feel about watching a tournament right. months after it's been, you know, after I know the results. Um, I haven't seen it be a huge thing that everybody on the table is doing that. Yeah. Most players prefer to have it in the stacks of 20 or close to 20 only because it makes life so much easier when you're making a play at, at a pot right. and you're pushing stacks in there. All right? And I think it's a great idea. I don't think they should back down from the players who want to do that, that we've all seen that, you know, have that thing stacked, you know, 100 chips high for, you know, superstition or stupidstition, as I like to say, or for whatever damn reason, because every player at a table has the right to know how many chips you have anyway. Right. So I think, yes, they're going to get a little pushback from this rule. But as you just mentioned, the majority of the poker, you know, tournament directors were in favor of this rule. It just makes life that much easier. And it really, listen, whether you have a stack this high or this far out, that's going to intimidate players, period. Right. Well, there was no change in the rule, and uh, there will be some suggestions in the etiquette section uh, that they put out. But uh, certainly... uh, you know, there is some freedom still in this country to do things the way you want to. And I understand that, Dave, but do you think as a poker player you're going to stop playing in a tournament because they force you to put those stacks in 20s? Probably not. Okay, so, yeah, people are going to be pissed off, but I think they need to hold their, their ground firm. The one I agreed with the players that they really got upset about was, as we mentioned just a little while ago, the not being at your seat when the first card comes off the top of the deck. I think that was just a little too harsh. People could be running back. You don't want to miss a hand, you know. But this, 
I, what's the percentage of people that you're going to piss off? Yeah. Last, the last thing was uh, Barry Greenstein is one of the ones who really suggested that there should be a couple of changes in stud uh, rules. And one was that uh, f- that the uh, double bet on 4th Street should not be allowed. And so they decided to kind of nix that if they, if, if they can. That uh, if you paired... On the board, we had a pair on the board that you could do a double bet on four. What was his reasoning behind that? Uh, He said that uh, uh, the point of the rule was uh, apparently for cash players to end the hand more quickly and get on to the next. Uh, I guess he didn't like that. Now in tournament, I I thought in tournament play you didn't have an option. Is that what they're saying? That you still had the option even in tournament play? Because I, in in live cash games, your options were the smaller of the two bets or the larger of the two bets. And a raise could be in that. Let's say you were playing 5-10 stud. Okay, you paired up on 4th Street. The pair, let's assume, is bringing it in and brings it in for 5, doesn't bring it in for the 10. Okay, somebody could raise it to 15 and automatically, the, now the next race has to be to 25. As far as I know, in tournaments, um, I don't remember that, you know, that 4th Street rule applying in tournaments. On tournaments, they, it's, it's still the lower of the two bets. And then 5th, 6th, and 7th Street are the higher of the two, of the two uh, limit bets. So I don't understand where they're heading at the, with this. Were they allowing that in tournaments? Because I don't ever recall. I have, it's been I think a very long time. Yeah. It's been a very long time for me uh, that I've played a stud tournament. And my recollection was that, you know, that the 4th Street rule did not apply in tournaments. Okay. Well, I, I don't have the experience to uh, answer that question. Okay. <laughs> uh, the other rule that they talked about was that 7th Street would always be dealt face down now. Uh, I guess in the past... Uh, if a player was heads up and his or her uh, river card was dealt face up, that the opponent's card was also dealt face up. Okay, and we kind of discussed this off the air before we came back on the air. And I, I again, you got five players. Uh, you know the rules have always been steady for me. You know, and again they may have changed in my time frame, being that I'm not playing a whole lot of seven card stud now. But let's assume there's four players left, and the first two get their card face down, 7th Street face down. Third card gets flipped up by Maxon, hits a chip, gets, catches air. Whatever the reason, it's flipped up. So I don't understand where they're going with this. What, 4th Street has to be up, and then you're going to force the first two people, I mean the, the fourth player's card gets faced up. Then you're going to try to force the other two people. What about if they mix them already in with their cards? They're, they're talk- I don't understand they're how they're going even to... reshuffling the deck and uh, why. And re- re- doing I, I don't. I, has there been a big problem? I don't know with with the fact that you know for people our age and again young people who don't haven't played a whole lot of seven card uh, seven card stud. Listen, when Seventh Street was turned face up to a player. Now, I remember that if the first person got their card face-up, everybody else would get their card face-up just to make it even. Right. But but now you deal the first player face-down. The next player's card gets turned face-up for whatever the reason is. And you've got two other players following him. They were always dealt face-down, and the person who had his fifth, you know, obviously showing five cards instead of four up to his opponent, always had the option of declaring him or, or herself all in. 
right. at that point. So they're eligible for the pot that's in there without any other risk to their stack because they may have had a good hand, but now everybody kind of has an idea of what they might have, and someone may look like, oh, wow, they only need two cards to have a higher flush, right, a right. full house. Whatever the case is, that person always had the option to declaring themselves all in. Right. I, You know, again, not having played a whole lot of that over this time, Dave, I don't know what the reasoning is for this change. Well, when we hear more information about how people are reacting to some of the changes, uh, some of the old-timers don't want any change at all, and uh, we'll see what happens. Anyway, that's going to do it for tonight's show. Appreciate you being with us, and uh, we will talk more next week on uh, the things happening uh, in the legal aspects of poker and the uh, legislative aspects as well. Uh, a lot of stuff happening, and uh, we'll be headed for some big tournaments this fall. Anyway, thanks for being with us. Gio, thank you for all your work. on the As always, Gio. Thank and, you. And we will be back with another show next week on Poker Action Line. The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies. 